Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you walk into stores around town, as you uh, look in the weekly flyers that come with the newspaper, it's easy to tell that Christmas is coming. And for some of you, maybe it's too early yet to be thinking about Christmas. For others, Christmas can't come soon enough. Maybe we're looking forward to Christmas already in September. Many people love Christmas time, for Christmas to come. There's something about the Christmas lights, the decorations, food and drink, and family time that makes, for some people, the best time of the year. And let's not forget about the most important thing, the time when we celebrate the birth of Christ. Many children will ask mom and dad, when is Christmas coming? Or is Christmas here yet? I want Christmas to come. Now, we look forward to many things in life, whether it be Christmas or a child looks forward to his birthday. But as we think about those things, also in connection with our study this afternoon, we should ask ourselves, do we desire also for God's kingdom to come? Is that something we look forward to in our hearts in our minds as we look ahead to the future. Our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. Do we desire God's kingdom indeed to come? Do we pray this petition sincerely from the heart? No, do I desire this more than I want, say, Christmas to come? Do I desire God's reign to be established more than anything else? You know, you know, that might not come natural to us. Our hearts are easily pulled in all kinds of different directions. But this is one reason why Jesus taught us to pray this petition. He taught us this so that we would see the value of God's kingdom and that we would eagerly desire for God to establish His kingdom more and more here on the earth. So that brings us to the sermon theme. Christ our King teaches us to pray for God's kingdom to come We're going to look at two things. We'll look at how, first of all, God's kingdom is unshakable, and secondly, we'll look at how God's kingdom must be prayed for. So, first of all, God's kingdom is unshakable. Now, a well-built city in this world will look secure. The roads are strong and smooth. The houses and buildings are built to code the unmoving skyscrapers reach high into the air. But even with all those impressive features and structures, the security of a city can be broken in a moment. Just think of the damage something like an earthquake can cause. Strong earthquakes throughout history, even recent history, have devastated cities. You know, I experienced a few small earthquakes when I lived in BC, but there was always talk that the big one, the big earthquake, might yet come and that we had to be ready for it. And if a strong earthquake ever did hit that area, a city like Richmond, BC, right next to Vancouver, would indeed be devastated. Being right next to the ocean, the ground there would experience something called liquefaction, where the ground behaves, due to the shaking, it behave more like a liquid. And many buildings would simply collapse, causing great devastation. 
And because of these sorts of things, the damage caused by something like an earthquake, the Bible uses language such as being shaken to describe something or someone put into turmoil or even destroyed. Sometimes the Bible uses this language to describe individual people, how they are shaken to the core. People who are strong in themselves are suddenly shaken by some bad news and their courage melts away. For example, in Job 34, Elihu speaks about the people of the earth and he says, In a moment they die. At midnight the people are shaken and pass away, and the mighty are taken away by no human hand. Or consider Isaiah 7 about the wicked king Ahaz. There it says, When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, that is, Syria and Ephraim were joining together in alliance, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And so the Bible also uses this image, people, nations, shaking to describe the inherent instability of the kingdoms of the earth. There there is a theme throughout Scripture of the nations being shaken by God. The kingdoms of this world often appear to be strong. They look like they are secure, but in the end, they are not. They can be shaken. That means they can be shaken in two related ways. The first way the kingdoms of the world are shaken is when they become scared of losing their kingdom, what they have. They become petrified that their kingdoms might fall. We see this in history, too. Joseph Stalin, for example, was deeply shaken when he learned that Hitler and the Nazis had invaded Russia. It took him quite some time to gather himself together. He knew it might be the end for him and his, and his kingdom. The second way kingdoms are shaken in the Bible is when they do actually fall and are destroyed. Ezekiel 26, in a way, describes both of these senses when it says about the kingdom of Tyre, will not the coastlands shake at the sound of your fall? Tyre itself will be destroyed by God, and the cities and nations close by will then be shaken by fear. We read the same thing in our reading from Haggai 2, where the Lord says through Haggai, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. So the kingdoms would be shaken by God. They would collapse and fall. And why is this the case? Why would the nations be shaken in this way? Well, it's because in their essential nature... The kingdoms of the earth belong to this world only. They do not have Jesus Christ as their king. And so without Christ as their king, they simply cannot remain forever, and they will not remain forever. 
Just look at King Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 2. He dreamed about a giant statue with different sections made up of four distinct materials, like silver and gold. And these different sections made up of different metals, they represented different kingdoms that would come upon the earth. What happened next in his dream? Well, a rock cut out, not by human hands, came down and smashed into that statue, breaking it into pieces. It was shaken. It was completely demolished. And that rock in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, of course, represents our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that rock grew into a mountain that filled the entire earth, dwarfing those other kingdoms in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And we see from this that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ is completely different than the kingdoms of the world. The kingdom of God is unshakable. It will last forever. And we read this very same message in Hebrews 12. In that chapter, which we read, the author first sets up a contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and between the Old Testament worshipers and the New Testament worshipers. And at the making of the Old Covenant, the people of Israel, they gathered around Mount Sinai. What happened there? The entire mountain trembled greatly when the Lord descended on it. And there was blazing fire, the blast of the trumpet, and the voice of God speaking out. And all the people, including Moses, they, they shook with fear. And while it may not be definitive, the author of Hebrews 12 hints that the shaking of Sinai at God's voice signals the temporary nature of the Old Covenant. He says later on, the things that are shaken will be removed, he says. And that's what indeed happened. The old covenant gave way to the new covenant in Christ. And also gave way to a contrasting worship of New Testament Christians. We've not come to Mount Sinai. We've come to Mount Zion. That is, into heaven. To the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and festive gathering, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And this new covenant will not fade away. It will last forever. And along those same lines, we belong not only to a new covenant, but to a kingdom that cannot be shaken, says Hebrews 12. He says... And so it is one that will last forever. Listen to how the author works this out in Hebrews 12. At that time, his voice shook the earth, that is, at Mount Sinai. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So the message is clear. God's kingdom is different than any other kingdom or nation upon the earth. 
The things of this world will eventually be removed. They will fade away. They will not last. But it's not so with the kingdom of God to which we belong. It will go on forever. And we should ask, well, why is that so? Why is God's kingdom so different? Well, it has to do largely with the king of the kingdom of God. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the resurrected king. He died, but then, of course, he conquered death in his resurrection, and so he has, our king, he has eternal life. Therefore, Christ, Jesus Christ, will reign forever and ever. He will always be king. Nothing shall move him from his throne, and the, the eternity of the kingdom of God is founded upon the indestructible life of King Jesus. So the kingdom of heaven was secured in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, by which Christ has eternal life, and by which we, the citizens of the kingdom, also have eternal life. We find it in our King, in our resurrected Lord. And in this regard, it's noteworthy that at both Jesus' death and his resurrection, there was an earthquake. The ground was shaking. Why did that happen? Well, it signaled that with the establishment of God's forever kingdom, the new creation was coming and, in effect, was already here. And so the creation in its present form will be shaken. At the end of time, it will pass away. And those earthquakes at Jesus' death and his resurrection were a foreshadowing of that, the removal of things that are shaken. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, how does this affect our lives? Well, the first thing we need to see is that we, by faith, are joined to the king you are joined to our Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Think of Daniel 2 again. That rock that was cut out not by human hands, it came and it smashed that statue into bits. But what happened to that rock? It grew into a mountain that filled the whole earth. And we are part of that mountain of the kingdom of God as we are joined to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, by faith. So you belong to the eternal kingdom of God as you believe in Jesus Christ. The second thing, way this affects our lives is that we never need to be shaken in our hearts by the kingdoms of this world. You know, we might be tempted to fear evil rulers, evil governments who promote evil, who may oppose the kingdom of God. And to be sure, it's not wrong to be concerned about those things. We shouldn't stick our head in the sand either. But think of some of the evil rulers of today. Maybe some of them you fear. Are they any match for our eternal king, who is king of kings and lord of lords? 
Absolutely not. It's not even close. And so, we don't need to be shaken in our hearts. We belong to that eternal kingdom. In this regard, think also of someone like Daniel. He did experience great danger during the time of the kingdom of Babylon from an evil ruler like Nebuchadnezzar. But what happened to Babylon? That kingdom eventually fell and was replaced by the Persian Empire, and Daniel remained. And so he outlived that evil kingdom of Babylon. Now, I cannot guarantee that all Christians will outlive evil empires or evil rulers. That's not something God has promised to us in this life. However, in eternity, this principle will be true for all of God's people. Since we belong to the King of Kings and belong to that unshakable kingdom, we will outlast the evil kingdoms of this world, no matter how evil they might be. As Daniel 7 tells us, the saints will receive the eternal kingdom. And so no matter what happens in this world, you as a citizen of the kingdom of God can live securely. Death has already been conquered by your King, Jesus Christ. And so we can say, along with the psalmist in Psalm 16, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, to the grave. But in your presence, there's fullness of joy. That brings us to our second point. So, just a few moments ago, in the first point, we focused on the eternal nature of God's kingdom. It cannot be shaken. It will remain forever. However, these truths can leave us with the wrong impression if we are not careful. Hearing about the unshakable nature of God's kingdom might make us think that everything about God's kingdom is automatic. That would be a mistake. After all, our Lord Jesus himself teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, pray to God. And Christ did not teach us this in vain for, for no reason. And so it's crucial for kingdom citizens to pray for God's kingdom to come. It's crucial for all of you to pray for God's kingdom to come. Now, what does that all involve? Well, it can involve, first of all, thanksgiving. We can give great thanks to God for what we have in Christ. In Jesus Christ, God has transferred us into the kingdom of His Son. And we have a king who lives and reigns forever. And we share in the king's eternal life. And so we praise God in our prayers. That's what Hebrews 12 calls us to do. It says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Indeed, let us be thankful. We belong to the king of kings. And so praying with thankfulness is the first way to pray in connection 
with God's kingdom. The second way to pray in line with this petition is to pray that you, that all of us, would see the value of the kingdom of God. You know what often happens in our hearts? Our hearts are attracted to so many other things over and above God's kingdom. Our hearts so often clutch on to temporary things that will only fade away and that can dominate our, our hearts and our minds and our perspective. Christ teaches us another way. He teaches us to value God's kingdom over everything else in life. And to that end, I could mention two small parables the Lord taught us. The parable of the pearl of great price and the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. Jesus first says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And at one point, the merchant comes across a pearl of such great value, he knows that this is the most expensive, a valuable thing he's ever come across. And so what does he do? He sold everything else he had. Because he, his, his heart was fixated on gaining that pearl, he knew it was the most valuable thing. And so he sold everything else he had to buy that pearl. Furthermore, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. At, at a certain moment, a man comes along in the field and he stumbles across that treasure. Look at this valuable thing he's found. He can't believe it. So what does he do? He covers up that treasure again to hide it. And he went off and he sold everything he had to buy the field so that he could gain that valuable treasure was worth more than anything else he had. And the Lord Jesus teaches us this so that we would value the kingdom of God. See, the Lord Jesus isn't teaching us that Christians can't have treasure. Rather, he's describing how valuable the kingdom of God is, whether we realize it or not. And he's calling us to, to see the treasure that the kingdom of God is, to value, to value it above everything else, and to seek the kingdom of God first and foremost in our lives. Course, this doesn't come naturally to us. So often, what happens in our hearts, we're captivated by other things in this world, and it pushes out of sight the kingdom of God. You know, we are so short sighted in our vision and in our desires often. So, when you pray to God, your kingdom come. Pray that you would, in your heart, see the value of the kingdom of God above everything else in your life, above everything in the world. Pray that your heart would be captivated by this eternal treasure. It's more valuable than anything else you currently have or own. And I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you, that you won't be disappointed by the eternal uh, treasure that is the kingdom of God.
It will not disappoint. So that's another way we can pray along with this petition, your kingdom come, pray that you would see the value of God's kingdom. As we pray this petition, we can also pray that uh, we would become more and more faithful as citizens of God's kingdom. We pray that we would be joined more and more in the strength of faith to our Lord Jesus, and we pray that we would follow His teachings and submit to His rule. You see, part of our hearts, because we have a sinful nature yet, part of our heart still wants to rebel against God the King, and at the center of our sinful nature is the desire to be king and queens of our own lives. So praying for God's kingdom to come means praying that any remaining rebellion in our hearts would be eradicated. So as you pray this petition, pray, Lord, may I submit to you more and more. May my desires be in line with yours more and more. And may I give up all rebellion. This means heeding also the listening to the warning of Hebrews 12. There we read, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. So pray for a submissive heart to God's word. Pray that you would follow it. And along these same lines, this means following the words of Christ in Luke chapter 6. There he says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. So that will be your life too as you build on the rock that is our Lord Jesus Christ. So pray that you would put his words into action more and more. Pray that you would be a doer of Christ's word, not just a hearer only. And as you pray this petition, pray also, not just for yourself, but for the whole world. Pray for God's kingdom to advance in this world. Remember, just because the kingdom of heaven is unshakable, and the kingdoms of the earth will be shaken, That doesn't mean everything is automatic. No, we must pray for God's kingdom to advance. You see, God has joined the expansion of his kingdom in this world to the prayers of his children, to your prayers as well. That doesn't mean the expansion of God's kingdom depends all on us, no. But it has pleased God to advance his kingdom on the earth through your prayers. And that's a wonderful privilege, isn't it? Your prayers can help to advance the kingdom of God in this world as the Lord responds to your prayers offered in faith. The Lord listens to those prayers. And that's why Jesus teaches us to pray. Pray to God, your kingdom come, O Lord. 
And as we get into as praying for the advancement of God's kingdom on the earth, this also means we can pray for a variety of specific things. We can pray for the destruction of everything that opposes the kingdom of heaven. There's plenty of things on earth that do that. You know, the kingdom of heaven is completely opposite to the kingdom of the devil. And Satan wants more than anything to be worshipped and to be served as the king of this earth in opposition to God. And so the devil will do all that he can to oppose God's kingdom here on earth. So how does that affect our prayers? We'll pray that Satan's kingdom would be shaken to its core and would be destroyed. Pray that Satan's kingdom would be absolutely devastated, that the kingdom of God might advance in its place. Pray for all things that build up God's kingdom in this world. It means praying for the preaching of the gospel. Undoubtedly, this is the main tool God uses to advance His kingdom in this world. Pray that the preaching would be faithful, that it would go out into all the earth. Pray that God would raise up preachers and missionaries. Pray that people who hear the preaching would be convicted of sin and brought to faith in Christ. Pray for yourself that you would be given opportunities to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ and pray for wisdom and boldness in those moments so that you can present to them the good news of Jesus Christ, that others might be brought into the kingdom of God. Pray for the local church, this church, that we might be faithful. While the church and God's kingdom are not exactly identical in Scripture, they are very much related. And so pray that as Christ's church, we would do all things according to the word of the King. That means praying also for the elders and deacons, the minister. Pray that God would raise up office bearers for His church. And pray for each other that we would resist temptation, that we might serve the King in our lives. Pray for each other. We could pray for the work of Bible translation. If God's kingdom is going to grow and expand, God's Word needs to go out. Pray that those translators would work faithfully. Pray that they would be given strength and wisdom for their task. People need the Word of God. Well, we could mention many more things in this regard. I'm only going to mention one more thing. Pray that you yourself would also work to build God's kingdom. Pray that God would use you in the building up of His kingdom here on earth. And you know what? There is great fulfillment in that as you not only pray, but as you get to work in service of the King of Kings. Now, I don't know if your life feels like it's lacking purpose or direction, but when we pray for, and when we work for God's kingdom to come, life has so much more meaning and fulfillment. This is what God has created us for, for His glory, for His kingdom. And think about it this way. 
when you work for the building of God's kingdom here on earth, you are working for something that will last forever, that has no end. Remember, God's kingdom is unshakable. It will last forever, and that kingdom is being established in time, in the present. And do you know what can be frustrating in life? When you spend so much energy building something only for it to break shortly afterwards. You spend so much time working on a project, you make sure it all fits together so well, maybe an accident happens and all your work is destroyed in a moment. Well, that's frustrating. But God's kingdom is not like that. God's kingdom will never be destroyed. And so any addition to God's kingdom in the present is an addition that will go on forever into eternal life. And that means that the work you do as a kingdom citizens, the work that you do to build God's kingdom in this life, it will affect what eternal life looks like. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? What you do for the building up of God's kingdom in this life will affect what eternal life looks like because the kingdom of God will last forever. It starts now, continues on into eternity, into the new creation. So isn't that a great incentive to pray for God's kingdom and to build God's kingdom? You are praying for and working on something that will go on forever. And you are a tool in God's hand to shape what eternal life will look like. So may we pray for God's kingdom to come. May we work for God's kingdom to come. And may we be faithful in this until Christ our King comes again. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing from hymn 63. This is a hymn based on the Lord's Prayer, and we will sing stanzas 3 and 8. <laughs> 